following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. One of the main duties of a Christian parent is the same responsibility of a Christian pastor. In kind of an overall summary fashion, it's to try to keep the family on target. What that means is honoring, following, obeying the Word of God so that we're in the will of God. But keeping a church train and a house train on its biblical rails is not an easy task. It really isn't. And even in healthy churches and in healthy homes, you can have men and women take detours, pop off those rails, and oppose the Word of God and undermine the will of God. It's heartbreaking, but it happens all the time. There are times when wayward church attenders or even family members in your household will declare, well, now I'm a homosexual. Or now I'm a lesbian. Or I don't believe in the Bible anymore. Or I don't believe in the gospel of grace. What do you do when a believer pops off those rails of biblical Christianity, what you see plainly written in the Word of God, what do you you say to them? How do you talk to them? Well, that's exactly what Paul is doing in the book of Galatians. And if you'd open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4, we're right in the center of chapter 4, in the theological section of this particular book. And if you're new with us, we're working our way verse by verse through this incredible epistle. And Paul is basically demonstrating his perplexity, his struggle, his agony over the Galatian believers. And as he does, he pours out his heart and shows us, driven by the Spirit of God, how to talk to somebody who actually you may know that's moving away from Christ, that's moving away from the Word of God. How do you speak to them? Well, I wrote out the passage for you in the New American Standard Version on your outline so we could read it all together. And today, it's a little bit longer, so you're going to have to work really hard to stay together. But it's really good when we read it because we own it together. So if you would, from your outline, uh, read out loud with me, starting in verse 12. Here we go. Ready? I beg of you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus Himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you would seek them. But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner, and not only when I am present with you. 
My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you, but I wish to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. In verses 8 to 20, Paul expresses his stunned confusion. Uh, There are actions, are there not, by people that you know and love that you're like, what? I I don't get that. Why would they do that? Well, he's in stunned confusion over how the Galatian churches want to go back under the law, follow error, and actually lean into heresy. Moved by the Holy Spirit, teaching the Galatians, Paul is also teaching you how to talk to those who used to seem sound. They were believers in our midst. We don't know where their heart was at. But now they're following error. And there are 11 points in verses 8 to 20 in this large paragraph that spring from the text. We looked at four of them last week in verses 8 to 11 with Paul's rebuke. And now seven more we'll look at this morning. Key actions in verses 12 to 20 and Paul's rebuilding up the Galatians. This is how you talk to those you love. People that you care about, who have abandoned the simple, straightforward teaching of Scripture. Now, last week, what did Paul teach? Take a look at verses 8 through 11. Let me read it to you. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who, which by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. Last week we looked at, number one, that Paul was reminding them that they were lost without Christ. And then that they were pointing them to a relationship that they have with God through Christ. And number three, warning them to not turn back to their enslaved lost days in verses 9 and 10. And number four, to share with them his fear over them and his love for them in verse 11. So he sternly rebukes them in verses 8 through 11. And then now today he changes his approach and makes his appeal based on a strong affection for them in verses 12 to 20. So the question that's going to be asked and answered today is how do you talk to those moving away from sound, obvious doctrine from the Scripture, verses of the Scripture? Well, number five in your outline, stay with me, you appeal to them to be transformed. You appeal to them to be transformed. Would you agree that there are a lot of people who claim to be Christians who are not? Yes? They're called tares in our midst. And Paul's saying, look, I don't want you to be external in the way that you look as a Christian. I want you to be internally transformed, born again. I want you to be a genuine Christian. What's he say in verse 12? I beg of you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Now what's he talking about? Paul was a Pharisee, was he not? Was he not the best rule keeper on planet earth? I mean, the legalist who is trying to work his way to heaven, correct? He is really good at it. And now, in Christ, he's abandoned all those efforts. He's saying, I'm not working my way to heaven. And this is basically the big difference between true Christian faith and every religion on planet Earth, even pseudo-Christianity, and that every other religion on the planet is working their way to heaven. I can be good enough. I'll do enough things. I light enough 
candles, I'll say enough prayers and, you know, confess enough things, then somehow God's going to accept me. Christianity says you'll never make it. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to stand uncondemned unless God did the work on your behalf, took the punishment on the cross, bore that, was condemned in your place. His cross is where your sin is laid, and then His righteousness covers you, and then you can be made right, not because of what you did, but because of what He did. Amen? That's the difference. And Paul describes that change in Philippians 3. I wrote it down there for you in your outline. Take a look at it. It says in Philippians 3, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Listen to what his, his quiet. I mean, he's, he's from the ultimate Christian home. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I mean, my last name is Christian. You know, I mean, he's got it. But then what about his works? Well, as to the law, Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. In other words, I kept all those external rules and I looked like I was really cooking before God. But he says, whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for I am suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, refuse, excrement, that I might gain Christ. And then, listen to what he says now. And may be found in him, now this is so key, not having a righteousness of what? My own. I, I didn't earn this. I didn't work my way to heaven. This was given to me. This righteousness that I stand before God is not something that I earned or worked for. It was given to me. It was not derived from my works in the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. I entrust my life to Christ and the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of what? Faith. Verse 12, now back to Galatians, urges the Galatians to follow his example. That, that he wouldn't trust in their own, that they wouldn't trust in their own works, their own way of working their way to heaven, but it would be from God himself by faith. Paul had been the best kind of Jew. He was super zealous. He was a Pharisee. He was the ultimate rule keeper. Now, don't overreact. Now that Paul's a Christian, he does want to obey the law, but not because he has to, but because he wants to. And he knows that he'll never do that perfectly, and his standing before God is not because he does those things, but because God has made him righteous. Are you with me? God did that. God declared that. So Paul abandoned, though, all mandatory attendance to the festivals, the dietary restrictions, all extra-biblical Jewish traditions. Man, Paul can eat a ham sandwich and be clear in his conscience. And he called the Galatians, do the same. Let's follow the truth of Scripture. Let's live by God's grace. Paul had lived his religion by his own strength, obeying the rules as best he could. And now, he functions, are you ready, by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we get to chapter 5, it's going to be all about the Spirit. Allowing the Spirit of God to work through him in order to live for Christ. So what's he say? Look at verse 12. I beg you, brethren, become as I am. I, I beg you to be transformed. Not merely in your behavior, be transformed of heart. That's one of the, the keys when you're talking to somebody. Are you different in heart? Not just your behavior, but has your heart been transformed by Jesus Christ? Have you been regenerated? It's called being born again. 
I mean, in the Greek here, Paul is begging you, and that means pleading with you about something that's indispensable. It's totally necessary. In fact, the only command in verses 8 to 20, the entire section, last week and this week, is right here, to become like I am. Become someone who has been born again that now is under God's grace and just lives by the grace of God. Can I hear an amen to that? That's what he wants you to become. Be the one who's trusting in God's grace, not trying to work your way to heaven. Be relying completely on Christ's righteousness and not your own. Be, you can even be a Jew. Just don't live for Judaism, live for Jesus. And if you're a Gentile, follow Christ. Be born again and follow Christ. Verse 12, he says, I'm not perfect, but follow the example you have in me now, not before. Don't follow me when before I was a Christian. That's verse 12. For I also have become as you are. Meaning, I was the worst legalist. I was trying to earn my way to heaven. I was an example of what it meant to be saved by keeping the law. And I was horribly enslaved. Don't do what I used to do. Are you ready? Be transformed. Plead with God to transform you internally. And as Paul challenges the Galatians to follow his example, and he wants them to depend on Christ. So that's the first lesson we learned from this particular part of the passage. Number six in your outline, refuse to make yourself the issue. Refuse to make yourself the issue. Look what he says. Verse 12, at the end of it, he says, You have done me what? No wrong. You've not injured me, literally. And though the hypersensitive Jews promoting Judaism had persecuted Paul when he first got to Galatia, the Galatian believers themselves had really not harmed Paul. In fact, they had enthusiastically received him. They really did. In fact, when he preached the gospel to them, they loved it and responded. In fact, this is how it happened. It's described for us in Acts 13 and 14, and I put some verses there for you to look at in your outline. He says in 13.43, Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up and they had preached the gospel and shared Christ, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes, those are Gentiles who were following Jewish patterns, they followed Paul and Barnabas who were speaking to them and urging them to continue in the what? That's so important. Continue in the grace of God. Be strong in grace. But then verse 45, the Jews, they saw the crowds. They were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. 14:19. but the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Wow, Paul, what a life he led. And Paul says, hey Galatians, you were super receptive when I came to you and shared the gospel with you. But the difficulty that I faced when I was with you is from the same type of people who are now bothering you now. Those Judaizers, those false teachers. But you were wonderfully responsive to the truth of God's grace when I was with you, Acts 13, 14. So here's the question I want to ask you. Paul, he's asking the Galatians, are you ready? How can you reject the gospel now? How can you do that? Paul's not offended personally by what they've done. Paul's not insulted personally by what they've done. Paul is shocked. Shocked by what they've done. When you talk to your friend, when you talk to your family member, 
who has moved away from truth, remind them of the times when they were seemingly responsive to the Word of God and the Gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit. Don't make yourself the issue. Make the Word of God and the Spirit of God the issue. Right? And take it a step further. Number seven in your outline, recall your spiritual journey together. Recall your spiritual journey together. This is what Paul does now with the Galatians, starting in verses 13 through 15. Let me read it to you with some of the full meaning from the original text. It says this, verse 13. But you know for a fact that it was because of a a bodily illness that I myself preached the gospel to you for the first time. And that which was a trial, a pressure, an obnoxious thing to look at to you and my bodily condition... You did not despise or loathe, but you strongly received me as an angel of God or as Christ Jesus Himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I I bear you witness, if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Simply, what's going on here? Verse 13, Paul was sick when he was with the Galatians. And his sickness was, verse 14, are you ready? It was gross. You ever had a gross illness that it looked gross on the outside as well as felt gross on the inside? Please don't nod your head. And especially if you're sick that way right now, okay? (laughs) But you know what? The Galatians didn't care. They, They didn't literally, it says despise or loathe, which means they didn't spit on him. They welcomed him like he was an angel. But now, verse 15, Paul asks, why are you rejecting me and the true gospel message now? Back when I was with you, it felt like you would have done anything to support me. Anything. Now, what was the illness? Some think, and I read just a ton of commentaries on this and a little bit of it's speculation. They thought it was malaria. I I don't know if you've ever had malaria I've tried to avoid malaria all my life because some of my missionary friends have malaria. Once you have malaria, you always have malaria. Do you know that? And and you break out in sweats, convulsions, and the shakes. And and it's it's debilitating. You're just stuck in bed until you've worked it through in your physical body. It's it's really, I call malaria the time-bomb disease. Because once you get it, you can go for three years, you can go for five years, and next thing you know, all the symptoms come back. Boom, in a day. You have no idea, just boom, time bomb, you get it. Some believe that's what's going on here. I think they're all wet, okay? I think that Paul had some sort of eye infection that grossed out his eyes. Now, I've had some really doozies. Maybe you have too, where you actually have, you know, crusty things and yellow things and weird things hanging out of your eyeballs. And when you look at yourself in the mirror, you almost want to vomit because it looks so bad. Anybody with me? You just, I mean, zombie makeup is nothing compared to what you look like. It's horrific. I, you, I know some of you understand what I'm talking about. It's gross, making it difficult to look at, even you. Which is why Paul said, verse 15, I think you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Whatever the illness was, verse 14, it was a trial for the Galatians to actually look at him. And yet they immediately overcame that trial. And they didn't despise, they didn't loathe him. Despising means that they didn't count him as nothing or worthless, and loathe means to actually spit on him, or, which is done when you, you know, are looking at somebody with contempt, which is what he looked like. Paul was treated neither as worthless or with contempt by the Galatians when he was with them, but now, after he has returned from his missionary journey, 
in his return home. After the false teachers have undermined the gospel and attacked Paul, the Galatians are actually treating Paul badly. And this is coming as a shock to Paul. He's shocked by this. Most people back then, and some people even today, when you have something really, really gross, even as a Christian, they go, you're being judged by God. Anybody with me on that? Okay, just, would you just rub that out of your thinking? That is bad theology. Everything that should have been judged in your life was judged on the cross in Jesus Christ. Everything. Now, God may spank you, you know, give you a little tap now and then, change your circumstances to get your attention. He's going to shape you. He's going to mold you. He's going to do that. But understand, all judgment has already fallen on Jesus. One more time, amen? It has. So what's going on here that there are people looking at Paul and they're not seeing judgment from God. They're going, listen, he's credible. He's a messenger of God. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He is sent from God and the message he gives is from God. And so that was totally unexpected. The Jews and the Gentiles embraced him and the apostles amazed, verse 14, that they received him like an angel. Like the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Completely, no barrier at all. They didn't question the way he looked. They didn't doubt him. And then Galatians, in verse 15 here, they were grateful beyond measure for the message of true salvation and for real spiritual life that Paul was offering them in his message. So Christian, what did Paul do that you should do? Well, you should, with those moving away from truth that you know and love, Paul refreshed their memories. They once loved Paul so much. Verse 15, they would have plucked out their eyes and given them to him. I think that's reference to an eye disease there, probably the nature of that eye infection. But even if it was just a figure of speech, it's like they'd be willing to give up their sight. Uh, that's incredible to Paul so he could communicate. Gospel joy overruled gross eye issues. It's kind of like soldiers when you battle together, you're bound for life. When you're on a winning team, you're, you're bound together for life. Well, these, these Galatians are blessed by Paul and bound in that salvation experience. So look at verse 15. He says, you're blessed by my presence, meaning they were happy, they were satisfied. When I was with you from the start, you were happy with me. You were satisfied with the message of grace I preach. So why have you turned against me? And against the only way to be truly forgiven, truly saved, truly made righteous before a holy God, and truly an only way to go to heaven. Why would you reject that? You loved me back then. You loved the message from God I taught you. So Paul moves into the next way to speak to them. Number eight. He reminds them of their commitment to stand upon the truth. He reminds them of their commitment and his commitment to stand upon the truth. Look at verse 16. So have I become your enemy by telling you the what? Listen. To be a great parent, to be a great pastor, to be a great discipler, to be a great teacher, first, most importantly, are you ready? Your heart needs to be right before the Lord. You need to be currently walking in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, your heart right before the Lord. If you're going to minister in any situation, 
You're going to care for anybody. You're going to raise a, a godly family. Your heart's got to be right before the Lord. That's the first thing. The second thing, and equally important, is you speak and teach only the Word of God. That's right. Make certain the Word is what you stand on and you live by. You got a lot of opinions, but you make your convictions that this is what the Bible says, this is what we do. The Galatians knew Paul told them the truth. They knew that. He only spoke the truth to them and would only make sure that he honored the Word of God. Why? Because the Word of God is, the Bible is the truth. And the Bible over and over tells us that it is this truth, the Bible only, that saves you, Romans 10, 17. And it's only the truth of the Bible that sanctifies you as a Christian, John 17, 17. You need the truth. So Paul, verse 16, just tell them the truth of God's Word, of the Gospel. But now, as the Judaizers and the false teachers subtly undermine Paul's apostolic authority, you know what they're doing? They're undermining his authority. They're saying, you're the lesser apostle. You weren't part of the twelve. You're not really official. And then, not only are they attacking who he is, they're attacking his message. They're saying things like, oh, Paul just wants to be popular. He wants to teach an easy salvation where you don't work for it. You don't keep the law for it. Just God gives it to you. Uh, they, that's, that's cheesy. They're saying that. Uh, they, they're stating things like Paul is, is not fully devoted. He's not really committed. He's not really as spiritual as we are. We false teachers, we Judaizers, because we keep the law. We're circumcised. We tell you to be circumcised. We go to all the festivals. We keep the calendar. We follow the traditions. And very slowly, the man the Galatians loved for bringing them salvation truth has now become their enemy. By carefully phrased, critical, negative, and caustic comments, very subtly, the false teachers succeeding in turning Paul, their best friend, into Paul, their enemy. You know, friends, in the Christian world today, with tweets and podcasts and TikTok and YouTube and Facebook and Instagram, there's a great danger of listening to what people say about other Christians. And there's great sin that's taking place in the name of Christ by some who are posting. There is actually no place in Christianity for a doctrinal version of TMZ. I'm begging you to completely stop listening to the Rush Limbaugh's and Ben Shapiro's of the Christian world, no names, who treat those they disagree with like they're Democrats. Some have entire websites dedicated to destroying teaching and credibility of Christians. Next, I'm also begging you to take the long view. Take the long view knowing that those comments you shouldn't be listening to in the first place will be proven true or false over time. Would you write this down? Truth in time. Make it a universal principle. Never forget, something that is true about someone will be proven out over time. The Galatians had become so confused by listening to the false teachers in spite of their previous affection for Paul. In spite of him being a chosen apostle of Jesus Christ. In spite of 
the incredible sacrifice that Paul made by preaching the gospel to them in their presence while he's ill, while he's sick, while he's gross, even while that is happening, some in Galatia had come to view Paul as their enemy. The text here literally says they've become hostile towards Paul just because of subtle, ongoing undermining by false teachers. So Paul reminds them he had not harmed them, but he had merely told them the truth. A truth that they had once received, a truth that brought them great joy, and a truth that truly was the good news that God provides salvation, though we don't have to work for it, we can't earn it, we'll never be perfect in God's sight, God has to make us righteous. So how did the false teachers then undermine Paul and move away from truth? Number nine in your outline, warn them of false teacher manipulations. Warn them of false teacher manipulations. Look at verse 17. They, the false teachers, the Judaizers, eagerly seek you. Not commendably, but strongly they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. See how Paul warns them in verse 17? Eager is the word zealous or enthusiastic to seek out the Galatians. Man, they want to get close to the Galatians. They want to come alongside. They want to preach to them. They want to disciple them. They want to teach them. But what they really wanted, are you ready? Was to corrupt them with error. What they really wanted. Now, this is normally how it happens today. And this problem that I'm about to reference, is not a youth problem. 1 Corinthians 15.33, bad company corrupts good morals. That's primarily about, not bad friends, about bad friends who believe bad doctrine. And the issue, would you agree, is not just a youth problem, but it's an adult problem. Would you agree with that? So, the question this morning is, and what Paul is challenging the Galatians are you prepared to lose friends over sound doctrinal truth? I've maintained friends outside of our church with a different eschatology. I'm so excited for the rapture because I'm going to wave at him while I'm going up. <laughs> can hardly wait. <laughs> I have friends that are not fully five point. Scary, isn't it? But I have lost friends when they denied the authority of Scripture. They denied the gospel of grace and began to add works to the salvation by grace alone. And you know what's really sad? You know what's really scary? Those ex-friends would love it if I bought into their error. Oh, they can hardly wait for me to compromise. They're hoping I would. They're fueling me so I would agree with their error. And they still have the gall to call themselves friends. I put it in a contemporary setting because I wanted you to see this is what Paul is battling. The Galatian false teachers have come alongside them and they're their friends. And they're wooing them. And Paul's saying, you're going to have to stand on truth. You're going to have to do it. So he adds in verse 17, this was not commendable. Not commendable, meaning it wasn't appropriate. 
they eagerly seek is translated jealous. They're jealous for their attention. Now, if you're looking at this text, you're seeing their subtle manipulation. They're so kind. They're warm. They're inviting. They're honest. They they seemingly be. Uh, They're loving. They're attentive. But their true motive is to exclude the Galatians from the grace of God. Just, Just do the works. Follow the festivals. And they want to win recognition from themselves and say, we're right and Paul is wrong. The Judaizers had no interest. There was no genuine affection for the Galatian believers beyond entrapping them into the legalism of the Pharisees. And their true wish, their main objective in verse 17 is to shut out the Galatians. See it there? From the grace of God. And gain acceptance for themselves and their views. They were jealous They want the Galatians to embrace them. And Paul even tells us their motive later on in Galatians chapter 6, verse 12. Take a look at it. It says, they want to make a good showing in the flesh. They want to look good. They're proud. So in contrast to that, look at verse 18. Paul says, it is good though to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner. You know, it would be good if that was true, if your motives were right. And not only when I'm with you, but also when I'm absent from you. So he says, not only when I'm present with you. He goes on to explain that he himself had eagerly sought the Galatians. He discipled them. He taught them in the evening. He preached the word to them. But unlike the false teachers who came to them with a commendable manner, Paul came to them in a true commendable manner. How is that? He came discipled, taught them, preached them with a desire. Are you ready for his desire? Now listen, every Christian in this room knows this desire. You want them to be saved and you want them to be sanctified. Amen? You're talking to people that you care about. You want to make sure, hey, I just want to make sure you know Christ. I want you to come to Christ, become like Christ, so you can become complete in Christ and be in heaven with Christ. That's it. That's Paul's motive. He was not opposed to the Judaizers because he's trying to, you know, build up his own popularity. He's not opposed to the Judaizers so that they would affirm his leadership. He's opposed to the Judaizers to protect the spiritual health of the Galatians. There's a world of difference between the two. So in verse 18, Paul encouraged the Galatians to have the same zeal for the true gospel of grace that they had when he was present with them. Listen. Talk to your friends, talk to your family members, talk to your children or your grandchildren about the motives and intentions and unhealthiness of false teachers. What are they trying to do? They're trying to win converts to themselves. And these would be people that you're exposing here, maybe pastors who are influencing them or Sunday school teachers or guys on the web or college professors or the media or blogs or posts or tweets, but the worst of all of them, old friends, old friends could even be society and government, but show your friends, your family members, how they're being manipulated, lied to, and coerced. And look for motive. Look for motive. You say, well, what's the singular motive that should drive every one of us in this room? Are you ready? Number 10 in your outline. Share your singular drive and passion for them. Your singular drive and passion. Verse 19 is one of my life verses. This is what I am living for. No kidding. 
This is why I go back to my desk week after week for 20 plus hours and prepare for Sunday morning. Verse 19. Are you ready? Here it is. This should be your life verse as well. It says this. My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is what? Formed in you. (laughs) You didn't get it. Paul says, I'm willing to have ongoing birth pains until Christ is seen through you, my children. Wow! And all the mothers in the room said, no, not amen. You said, ouch! (laughs) Ow! Paul, wow, is saying, you Galatians make me feel like a mother who's had to deliver the same baby twice. That's what he's saying. He felt as though he went into labor pains to bring them to Christ, and now, because they're seduced by false teachers, he's got to go through labor pains a second time to bring them back to Christ. Regardless of their tragic spiritual condition, Paul will not forsake them. Because why? Because he is driven that Christ would be formed in them. Paul even calls the Galatians my children. He's telling you, look, I'm not talking to you like a lawyer talks to a jury. I'm not talking to you like a politician talks to a congress. I'm talking to you as a parent who talks to a wayward child or a mother who loves her son or loves her daughter, right? The Judaizers wanted the Galatians to be loyal to the law and Jewish rules, L and R, law and rules. The, Paul wants the Galatians to be loyal to the Lord and a relationship with him, L and R. The Lord and relationship. The Judaizers wanted the Galatians to be committed to the institute of circumcision, Paul wants the Galatians to be committed to intimacy with Christ. See the difference? Brothers and sisters, there is just one goal over every other goal that the indwelling Holy Spirit has for each and every one of you in this room. If you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and if you're a Christian, you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, there's one thing that He wants. One thing the Spirit's trying to accomplish in and through you. One truth which the Spirit's desire is above every other desire. It is found right here in Galatians 4.19. It's also found in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Speaking of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, God says He predestined you. Why? So you could become conformed to the image of His Son. The Holy Spirit. This is revelatory. This is shocking. Every single day wants to make you like Jesus Christ. Now, this is so important because everything that's happened in your life this week, everything that's happened in your life this month that God providentially has allowed, whether trial or heartache or sorrow or joy or blessing, everything is God working individually in your life, shaping you so that you will become more like Jesus Christ. Are you getting it? That's why you're going through your trial. That's why you're going through your sorrow. That's why this has happened, no matter what has happened in your heart. The Spirit of God is going to make you more like Christ. What do we say all the time at FBC? We want you to come to Christ or become like Christ so you would be complete in Christ. That's it. We want you to come to Christ in salvation We want you to become like Christ in sanctification and then you will be completing Christ in glorification. That's it. That's it. And that's what the Spirit of God 
is wanted to do. When he says formed, he's talking about essential form here, and he's not talking about outward shape. So he's saying the Spirit wants to build internal Christ-like character in you. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Therefore, having received Christ Jesus the Lord, so what? Walk in Him. When you're dealing with anybody drifting from sound doctrine, remember, sound, hagias, is where we get our English word hygiene, means clean and good. Sound doctrine makes you like Jesus. Unsound doctrine, unhealthy doctrine, makes you not like Jesus. It's so important you understand that. And what Paul is doing here is he is willing to experience true pain. Childbirth. Doesn't it crack you up, guys? You're laying there, you got the flu, your wife's dabbing your forehead. I got this the end of all life, all pain and suffering. And she's given birth to children. <laughs> I, it's number one or two or three on the top of the pain scale, and every woman in this room's gone through it who's a mother, right? <clears throat> Whoa. Paul says, I'm willing to experience childbirth in order to have the Galatians become like Christ. Wow. When you talk to your family and friends, tell them, I'm willing to go through anything so that you would come to Christ, that you would cooperate with the Spirit of God and become more like Jesus Christ. And lastly, would you be honest and genuine and sincere and transparent? Number 11, share your heartache and longing over their current direction. Verse 20, He says, but I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Uh, You know, when you're dealing with someone who's drifting from truth, you really have that desire to be with them face to face, right? You want to talk to them. You don't want to just write them. You want to talk to them. Paul is perplexed here. He is literally, when he says perplexed, at his wit's end. He doesn't know what to say, but he wants to be with them. And, and he wants to change his tone. How many times have you been in a situation where you go, I wish I would have changed my tone? Anybody with me on this? The tone is talking about the variance in your vocal cords. And what he's saying is, are you soft or hard? Are you intense or relaxed? Are you fact-finding or your relationship? Tone is the intensity of your discussion. I can't tell you the number of times I've looked back at the discussion and wish, you know, Chris, you, sh- you need to be softer. You need to be more gracious, even with someone who's in error. Like you and me, Paul hardly knew what to say. He's so perplexed. He he didn't even know what to do. Perplexed means filled with confusion, failing to understand. It boggles his mind. He, he, He looks at them. He taught the gospel. They believed it so genuinely. And then all of a sudden, they have now appeared to forsaken it. So quickly. Christian, talk to those who are drifting from truth. You say, I'm not confrontational. You don't have to be confrontational. Be like Paul here. Look at these points. I believe this is God-approved, God-empowered, God-pleasing way for you to talk to those who are drifting away from the truth of God's Word. So let's take this home and, and just conclude with a few Few practical points. There's so much that comes out of this text. Letter A, who needs to examine their own heart concerning sound doctrine? Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. And the amazing thing about true salvation is that it changes your heart. You're not just justified, you're regenerated. 
That's what Paul pleaded for. Be like I am. Be, be born again. Be regenerated. Be brand new. And that heart, that heart wants to obey God's Word. Not that you have to. Now you want to. You're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. And there's going to be works, a heart of love, which means a joyful life of ongoing service and sacrificial giving and faithful ministry and even growing in community and discipling others and investing in others. Listen, friends, if you are saved, the Holy Spirit's going to make you like Christ. Now watch. When you are like Christ in character, you will also do what Christ did in practice which is to serve, to give, to disciple. There's no way around it. So examine yourself. If you're seeing more of what Christ does through you, that's a good sign. Are you cooperating, submitting to, following after the Spirit of God who wants in your life to make you like Christ? If not, you don't see any progress. Listen, this is not a spectator sport. Christianity is you are a part of a family and we together are growing to be more like Christ. As we serve Him, as we love each other, as we serve one another, that's part of what true Christianity is. It's not a spectator sport. And if you don't see Christ growing you over the last three years, you need to maybe cry out for salvation. That you would turn and surrender to Jesus Christ. Letter B. Who needs you to appeal so they'll turn back to truth and Christ? Listen, use this passage to guide you, but also hear what the Word of God says like in Jude 22. It says to the false teachers, have mercy. You know, you Christians, you have mercy on some of those false teachers who are doubting, or those who are kind of drifting away. And then save others, snatching them for the fire. They're about to end up in eternal torment in hell. You snatch them out of that. You convince them about the Scripture and the simplicity of following Christ. And then on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Uh, Proverbs 27 says it better. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Reach out to them. You know why? If they're a family member, they're a friend, understand, if they're denying the gospel of grace, they're bound for eternal punishment in hell forever. There's no way around that. Pseudo-Christians go to hell. Only those who are born again are those who are His family go to heaven. Letter C. Where are you on the truth and grace scale? The closest apostle to Jesus Christ said this in John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, the glory as the only begotten from the Father. Now watch this phrase, full of what? Grace and truth. If you're going to be like Christ, you're going to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, you're going to become more truthful and more gracious. And you're going to be full of grace and truth. Both of those. John continues to show Christ full of grace by turning water into wine. And then he actually shows his commitment to truth by cleaning out the temple there in the Gospel of John. One of my life goals is to never, ever, 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 ever compromise the truth in any discussion, but do so in the most gracious way. So would you raise your hands? In this room right now, how many of you are more leaning towards being a truth-driven person? Can I see your hands? Okay, how many of you in the room are more gracious-driven person? You, you're just driven by grace. Okay, you know what that means? What that means is you and I, no matter how, if you raised your hand, have a lot of work to do, don't we? That's our target, friends. To be like Christ is to be full of grace and full of truth.
and full of truth and full of grace. Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for this section of scripture that is so personal. We pray that you would use this word to possibly draw someone to yourself in salvation, that they would see the necessity of having a living, alive relationship, not just something that's off in the distance, but a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, that they would be surrendering Him and recognizing His work on the cross on their behalf and loving Him. For the rest of us, may we be those who are loving the truth but doing a gracious job of communicating that truth with those who are wandering and drifting away from the clear, simple teaching of Scripture. Father, we pray that you would be exalted by how we respond to your word, and we'll give you thanks for what you do. We love you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.